0: Good morning. We have a new song to introduce to you this morning, so the praise team is going to begin and you are welcome to join in if and when you feel ready. But here's our new song this morning. We through Each person who is here in our worship center, those who are in the West Wing, those who are joining us by live stream, and those who will watch this recording later, I pray that in the coming hour, you will know and experience the presence and the blessing of our holy and gracious God. If you're new to Ivanrest Church, I'd like to give you a special welcome and invite you to stay after the service for refreshments and also join us. We have lots of opportunities this morning for fellowship and for learning. Um, If you have any questions or if you need directions within the building, you are welcome to ask anyone, but especially people who are wearing a lanyard like this. Hopefully, we can answer your questions. Today, we're especially pleased to welcome Nate Rusticus and his family, Rachel, Julia, and Ella Grace. Nate will be commissioned this morning as our new director of student ministries and we're going to put him straight away to work because he's going to meet with our middle school students already at 1115 so no slacking here. We have many opportunities to learn and strengthen relationships today during worship including celebration of the Lord's Supper, in Gather and Grow right after worship and then at the church picnic later this afternoon. All of the details uh, were on the screen, and they're in the online newsletter and also in this worship folder, so please make sure to consult those if you have questions. That was a lot of preliminary talk. (laughs) Let's take a moment to quiet ourselves, and I invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts and our minds for worship. O God of all creation, you alone are God and you alone can satisfy our longings. We come to you today to give you the honor and glory you are due, to rejoice and celebrate and find our rest in you. As we, your people, gather, we do so around the table, and we become one. Like grain from many fields become one loaf, and grapes from many vines become one cup. So we become one body here today. As we worship you, may we worship in spirit and in truth. In the name of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.
1: As Lois just mentioned, we've got a big, exciting Sunday here at Ivanrest Church with all sorts of things happening, but the truth is that every Sunday is an exciting day. Because we get to come here into the house of our God, into his presence, and worship him in a relationship that he has made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we have gathered to do this morning. I'd like to ask you to stand as God greets us in our worship this morning. May the love of God the Father, and the grace of Jesus Christ the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As God has greeted us, let's also greet each other as we start our worship together this morning.
0: God, we are called together for His purpose. With one voice, let us declare what God has called us to with these words from Our World Belongs to God. Joining the mission of God, the church is sent with the gospel of the kingdom to call everyone to know and follow Christ and to proclaim to all the assurance that in the name of Jesus, There is forgiveness of sin and new life for all who repent and believe. The Spirit calls all members to embrace God's mission in their neighborhoods and in the world, to feed the hungry, bring water to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and free the prisoner. We repent of leaving this work to a few, for this mission is central to our being. In a world estranged from God, where happiness and peace are offered in many names and millions face confusing choices, we witness, with respect for followers of other ways, to the only one in whose name salvation is found, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God reconciles the world to himself. God loves all creation. His compassion knows no bounds. Take your seats. At this time, we have opportunity to worship the Lord with our gifts and offerings. This morning, our offerings are for the ministries here at Ivanrest Church. Give with a grateful heart, and I pray that you'll be blessed in your giving. Before we go to the Lord in a time of prayer this morning, I have two announcements to make, and both of them are deaths in our church family. Joy Whitty passed away peacefully yesterday morning with her family present. Um, So we extend our Christian sympathy to her children, Paul Whitty and Lael Mulder, their grandchildren, or her grandchildren, and their many friends. The Ivanriss family was blessed by Joy's many years of faithful service and leadership, and she will be missed. Also this morning, Marjorie Gusen, sister of Doris Willemstein, passed away. Marjorie had had a number of falls and injuries in the last few months, and um, she went to heaven this morning. So we extend our sympathy to Doris and to the rest of that family. Details about visitation and funeral services for both of those sisters will be shared as soon as we learn what those are. Let's go to the Lord in a time of prayer. Holy, mighty, loving God, we are so thankful that we can come to you in prayer this morning. Today, many of us have troubled and heavy hearts. We mourn the loss of our sisters' joy and marge. We're troubled by the remembrances and losses of the September 11 attack 20 years ago. We're concerned about the health of family and friends. We're anxious, confused, and frustrated by the COVID pandemic. We shudder at the images of panicked refugees from Afghanistan, and we hear of uprisings and unrest and violence in every corner of the globe. Lord, we turn to you in our sadness and anxiety. We echo the words of the psalmist, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Thank you for the assurance, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Lord God, you are the only source of true joy, comfort, and peace. We humbly ask that you replace our worries and sadness with your light and love. Make each of us a witness to your love and grace. Equip us to be lights to our families and communities. Make us eager to tell the story of Jesus and his redeeming love. Lord, this morning we ask for your hand of healing in the lives of Dale, Christy, Dave, Tammy, Ron, and many others whose names haven't been shared We ask for daily strength and grace for Isaac and others with chronic illnesses and infirmities. We ask, Lord, that you comfort those who mourn. Please use us, your people, to encourage and support those who struggle. Help us to be a church that loves deeply and serves faithfully. Thank you, Lord, for the many people who have stepped forward to volunteer as we begin a fall program for our children and teens and adults. We pray that you will bless their efforts, that you will surround them with your love and your encouragement. We ask that they have enthusiasm and joy as they serve you. And bless all of us who benefit from those opportunities to learn and to communicate and live with one another. Lord, thank you for the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and for the gift and presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' beautiful and holy name. Amen.
1: Well, thank you, Lois. And it's uh, been a little while since I've done a children's message, so I'd like to invite any kids who are uh, feeling comfortable with that to actually come forward and gather around me here on the steps of the stage. And I've got a little book that I'm gonna read for you all. This is a book called This is the Church by Sarah Raymond Cunningham. And it's a book that uh, Sarah and I read quite regularly with our own son, Levi. In fact, when he saw me taking it to church earlier this week so that I wouldn't forget it, uh, he said, Dada no take Avi's book. He didn't want me to bring it with uh, to church, but I wanted to make sure I didn't forget it because it gets at everything that we've been talking about in the sermon series um, over the last couple of months about what the church is. And so I'd like to read it for you. I will just prepare you. There's a little bit of interactive stuff with this book, so I'll teach you that part when we get to it, okay? You may have heard this before. And I'm going to have to remove my mask because otherwise you're going to hear me breathing really deeply the whole time, like Darth Vader. (laughs) This is the church. There's a little rhyme that children say, a song they sing sometimes when they play. This rhyme is about God's family, and to do it, just move your hands like me. And this is the part where I'm gonna teach you. Maybe you've seen this before. So what you do is you take your hands, you fold them in like this, you put them together so that they sort of have two fists next to each other, okay? Have any of you seen this before? And you say, this is the church, and then you take your two pointer fingers, and you go, this is the steeple, and then your thumbs are the doors. Open the doors, And you turn your hands upside down and you wiggle them around. There's all the people. You ever seen this before? Yeah, some of you? Okay, you're making me feel real old because I remember this when I was a kid in Sunday school. Let's try it again. You take your your two hands, you turn them into a fist, you put them together and you say, here is the church, here is the steeple, open the doors and there's all the people. Good job. You figured that out probably a lot faster than I did when I was first taught it. What a great rhyme. Isn't it neat? But wait, this story is not yet complete. There's more to the church than just those two lines. So to learn about God's family, let's add to this rhyme. Some churches are so big and wide that 10,000 people can fit inside. But other churches are really quite small They fit just a few people, and that is all. And some people have church right where they are, right in their houses, and that's not very far. And not all churches have roofs and floors, some don't have steeples, and some don't have doors. Some people have church under the stars, and God comes and meets them right where they are. And in places where it's not safe to be found, some people even have church underground. And church isn't something that stands still, you know. The church follows God's people wherever they go. The church moves in buses, planes, and cars to share God's love, the church has gone far. The church works among the sick, hungry, and poor with people in need, wherever they are. It's gone to cities, it's gone to towns, to school and to work. The church gets around. But how does this work? How can this be? Can a church really move, like you and me? Well, that's the secret. It certainly can. Church moves through your feet and it works through your hands. The people are the church, don't you see? Church is a word for God's family. Because Jesus said where there are two or three who gather in my name, that's where I'll be. So let's go back to the old rhyme now. Get your hands ready. We'll show you how. Here is a building. It may have a steeple. But where is the church? The church is the people. On this day, the church welcomes you. You're part of God's people. And you're the church too. And you are. You're all part of the church, and so is everybody else who's gathered here. And that's what we've been talking about in our sermon series for the last couple of months. So you can make your way back to your seats. And everyone else, we're going to wrap up that sermon series. Now I'm going to ask you to turn with me uh, to our text this morning, which is Acts chapter one verses one through eleven. We've been looking at what it means to be the church and kind of the biblical and theological origins of the church uh, for the last uh, couple of months actually and we're gonna wrap that up this morning. Acts chapter one, verses one through 11. And uh, this is the gospel writer Luke. This is his second book. He's writing to somebody named Theophilus which literally means son of God in Greek. Uh, This is the person that he addresses both of his books to and this is what he writes here in Acts chapter one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, It is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. This same Jesus who is taken from you up into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, in the movie Toy Story, one of the characters, Buzz Lightyear, has a catchphrase. Uh, You see, Buzz is a space explorer. He's an astronaut of sorts, an adventurer, a fearless pioneer who's willing to go to the absolute limits of the known universe in the name of discovery, exploration, and innovation. Never mind the fact uh, that he's just a toy. Buzz doesn't know that, at least not at the beginning of the movie. Um, In his mind, he's a daring trailblazer, right on the edge of another thrilling adventure. And so throughout the movie, whenever Buzz is about to do pretty much anything, he always boldly declares, to infinity and beyond. And then he does whatever he's going to do. For Buzz, that phrase perfectly sums up everything that he's about. Because in his view, there are no limits that can stop him. No restraints to hold him back. Nothing that can restrict or dampen or rein him in. No matter what he's up against, he'll get past it, keep pushing forward, and go as far as possible. To infinity and beyond indeed. Well, in the same way, Jesus actually gives his disciples here in this text a a, a similar sort of catchphrase. It's actually more of a mission statement than anything. But in verse eight, Jesus tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses to infinity and beyond. Now the timing of this text is important. Um, It's been a few weeks at this point uh, since Jesus rose from the dead and he's been spending those weeks with his disciples sort of cramming in everything that they need to know about the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit and what they're supposed to do as the church. But now it's time for him to leave. It's time for Jesus' ascension. He's going to bid his disciples adieu and go back to his Father in heaven. and yet even though he's about to leave, Jesus makes clear here that his work on earth isn't going to end. In fact, we see that even in the way that Luke, the author of this book, writes uh, the, the first few verses. Okay, so look at verse one and two with me again. Luke starts by writing this book. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach before he was taken up into heaven. Did you catch what Luke says there? He says that in his first book, the Gospel of Luke, the one just two books before this one in the Bible, he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Began to. That phrase is important. Because in other words, what Luke is saying here is that Jesus' work, his ministry, his mission here on earth, it wasn't going to end with his ascension. Instead, it was going to continue. It was going to continue Because what Jesus is doing here in this text is he's leaving that work to his disciples. His ministry is now their ministry. His mission is now theirs. They're supposed to pick up everything that he's leaving them, pick things up right where he's leaving them. Jesus is going back to his father, but the work that he began will go on because it's going to continue through his people still here on earth. Put another way, in Luke's gospel, his readers got to see Jesus going about his work himself. Here in this book, in the book of Acts, they're going to get to see his people, his disciples, going about his work. And there are no limits to that work. That's part of what Jesus is saying to his disciples here in verse eight. He's telling his disciples that his work, their work now, to spread the gospel to continue God's mission, to serve as his witnesses, that work has no bounds. It's gonna take them to the very ends of the earth In fact, that's something that we actually get to see unfold in real time here in this book. Um, Pretty much every commentator points this out, but verse 8 actually functions as an outline of sorts for everything else that we see in the book of Acts. Jesus tells his disciples here that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and it turns out that's exactly what we see unfold over the next 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, For example, chapters one through seven of the book of Acts take place close to home for those disciples, so right around the city of Jerusalem. Um, In chapter seven, though, one of the first Christian believers, Stephen, is martyred, and that kind of sends the church out further beyond Jerusalem into the rest of Judea and Samaria in chapters eight and nine. Then after that, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, converts. He has this famous Damascus Road conversion story in chapter nine. And that's where we start to see the the church slowly but surely spread out um, even further than Judea and Samaria. First to places like Caesarea and Antioch and Asia Minor and then even further beyond that to places like Greece and Rome to the very farthest reaches of the known world at the time throughout the, the whole rest of the book. And so in a way, verse eight actually serves as a summary for the book of Acts. Jesus intends for his disciples, his people, his church to pick up his work and continue it, serving as his witnesses at home in their own city, in their larger region and state, and then beyond that to the very ends of the earth as well. And that's exactly what happens. Regardless of whether or not it happened exactly the way that those first Christians might have wanted or desired, Jesus' disciples end up following that outline in verse eight more or less to a T throughout the rest of of Acts. First in Jerusalem and then the rest of Judea and Samaria and finally beyond beyond that throughout the rest of the world, the first Christians served as witnesses to Christ both near and far, at home and abroad, um, among the nations as the Holy Spirit led them in pursuing the work and mission that Jesus had given them. That all brings up uh, what I think is an important question though. Which is, what exactly does it mean to be a witness for Christ in the first place? If that's what what Jesus is calling his disciples to here, what does that mean? That's a word that gets thrown around a lot in church circles, doesn't it? Witness. You know, as Christian believers, we talk about living as Christian witnesses, witnessing to Christ, sharing our witness with others, other than just being a Christianese term uh, that we use uh, in the church. What exactly does that look like? Well, to be honest, I think being a Christian witness means more or less the same thing that it does to be a witness outside of the church. Um, That's because, put simply, a witness is someone who tells the facts. That's what a witness does in a court case, right? When someone takes the stand in court, that's what the judge wants to hear, the facts. She doesn't want to hear the witness's opinions. She doesn't want to hear about his values and beliefs. She doesn't want to hear about his personal preferences. She just wants to hear what he saw, what he heard, what he experienced, what he witnessed. That's where the word comes from. He's a witness because he's there to talk about what happened as he witnessed it. This thing happened with these people in that place. Just the facts, just the truth, just what he saw and heard and witnessed. And in the same way, that's what we as Christians are supposed to do. When Jesus tells his disciples here that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, he's telling them to go and tell other people what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced to be true about him. Remember, these are the people who are with Jesus during his earthly ministry. When he was teaching, they were there with him in the crowd. When he performed a miracle, they were the ones who saw him do it. When he was arrested, crucified, and killed, they were there, and when he rose from the dead three days later, they were the ones that he appeared to. And so that's what Jesus wants his disciples to talk about. That he, that's what he wants them to share as they go around their city, their larger region and state, and beyond that to the ends of the earth. That's what he wants them to be witnesses to, who he is, what he's done, and what he's done for them. And as his disciples still today, as Christian believers in the church now, that's still what he wants us to witness to also. Now, that might sound a bit strange. I mean, after all, we're living 2,000 years later, right? Uh, We weren't there with Jesus the way that his original disciples were when he did all of that stuff. We didn't hear his teaching firsthand or watch him perform his miracles or personally witness his death and resurrection. So how can we be witnesses for him still today? Two ways. First, we serve as witnesses to Christ by continuing to witness to what those original witnesses of Jesus have passed on to us about what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced. And this is part of why it is so crucially important for us as Christian believers to know scripture ourselves. And I mean really know it, right? If we're going to be effective witnesses for Christ today, then we need to know what his first disciples said and witnessed to so that we can continue to witness to it as well. We have to know scripture in order to be effective witnesses to Christ. We have to know what those original witnesses have passed on to us. Second though, and this is maybe the more practical side of this, um, we also need to witness to what Christ has done in our own lives After all, that's something that we all can talk about. Regardless of how well we may or may not know scripture at this point in our lives, we've all got a story about that if we're Christian believers. We've all got a story not only about what Jesus did during his own life as reflected in scripture, but also about what he's done in ours. Now for some of us, that story might be one of the more exciting ones. You know what I mean when I talk about an exciting testimony, right? There's, there's always kind of the same structure. It goes something like, well, I was a drug dealing ninja who was raised by wolves in the wilderness or something. And it just sounds insane, right? But at some point what they say, but then Christ came into my life and he transformed everything about it. And it's the story of sanctification and transformation where when you first start hearing it, you're like there's no way it's gonna turn out with this person as a Christian, but it's one of those exciting testimonies. And then there's testimonies like mine, boring ones. I was raised by Christian parents in a Christian home. I've always gone to church, so I'm still a Christian. Here's the thing though, (laughs) right? It's boring. Here's the thing though, regardless of how exciting or boring our testimony, our story might be, it's still the story of Christ's work in our lives. It's still the story of what Christ has done. And so it's still something that we can share as part of our witness with others. And just as a side note, by the way, I've actually noticed over the years that the Christians always seem to want the other side's testimony. You know, when, when you've got a boring testimony like mine, I've actually had people tell me before, they're like, I wish I had more like, difficult stuff in my life so my testimony would be a little more exciting and make for a better story, right? But I've talked with quite a few people who have that more exciting testimony and they all wish they had mine. I've heard this over and over and over. I wish I didn't have to go through everything that I've had to go through in order to come to Christ. I wish that I had been raised all my life in a Christian household, and that I didn't have to deal with all those difficult years of wandering far from God in order to have this sort of testimony. And the point, I think, is this. Regardless of what kind of story you have, whether it's a boring one or an exciting one, be thankful for it. Be thankful for it. Because it's still the story of Christ's work in your life. And then second, share it. Because it's the story of Christ's work in your life. And so it's part of your witness to who Jesus is and what he can do. And who Jesus is and what he's doing hasn't ended yet. That's something that I think we sometimes forget as modern Christians. We forget that Christ's ministry, his mission, the work of spreading the gospel is still going. Just like Jesus was trying to tell his disciples here in this text before he ascended, his work still isn't finished, even today. It's still not done, it's still not complete, it's not mission accomplished yet. Instead, until such a time as Christ comes back, we are still called as God's people today keep pursuing his mission in the world. We are, as some, I think, clever commentators have called us, the Acts 29 church. Now some of you, and by some of you, I mean maybe one of you might be thinking Acts 29, but Brandon, there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So what's Acts 29? Well, one of the interesting things about this book is that Luke doesn't really give it an ending. This is something pretty much every commentator on Acts will talk about. In the last few chapters of this book, um, Luke is is dealing with the apostle Paul and he's telling the story of, of how Paul ended up under house arrest in Rome. And so Luke tells that whole story and then this is how he ends the book. Acts 28, verses 30 through 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's it. That's how it ends. It's done. That's how Luke finishes the book. He lays down his pen, and he stops writing. And it's not much of an ending, is it? It doesn't have the same oomph as like, the Great Commission at the end of, of Matthew's Gospel. You know, it doesn't have the poetic beauty the way that, that John ends his Gospel. It, does, it doesn't even have the same degree of closure that Luke ends his other book, his Gospel, with. Instead, it just kind of trails off Almost like Luke was maybe planning to write more and then he forgot about it. And yet, I don't think he forgot about it. I don't think he forgot to finish it. I don't think it just slipped his mind and he left the ending undone. Instead, I think it was intentional. I think this is the way that Luke wanted the book of Acts to end. I think he meant to do it this way. And that's because I think he was trying to make a point. I think that Luke was trying to send a message and that he was trying to tell his eventual readers, us, that this story isn't over. It's still going. God's still writing it. And if you are reading this and you believe it, then he's still writing it through you. That's what it means to be the Acts 29 church. It means to be the people that God is still using today. It means to be the ones that he is still using to continue writing his story of salvation. It means to be Christ's disciples still pursuing his work, his ministry, and his mission in the world now. And just like with his original disciples, there still aren't any limits to that. You know, verse 8 would look a little bit different. If Luke uh, was recording it for us today, right, if Jesus was speaking it to us, it would be something like, you, Ivan Rest Church, you've received the power of the Holy Spirit and so you must be my witnesses in Granville and Grand Rapids and Michigan and the United States and to the ends of the earth. That's what it would look like for us, right? But as Christ's disciples today, the point is that we still have the same call, the same mission, the same work that Christ has given us to do as his people. The place names might have changed, but the rest is the same. We still need to be pursuing the same worldwide witness to Christ that he gave and empowered his disciples here in this text. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, that we all need to move to a different country and become foreign missionaries. Some of us might be called to that, um, but some of us aren't. Instead, for some of us, our witness to Christ and being faithful to that is something that we live out a lot closer to home. Uh, After after all, not all the first Christians in the early church uh, went off and became traveling missionaries. Some of them did, right? You've got Paul and you've got Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos and Barnabas, and they traveled all over the world, but a number of other early Christians stayed closer to Jerusalem and continued to be faithful in that context there. You know, Peter seems to travel a little bit, but he also pops up in Jerusalem quite a bit as well. James, Jesus' brother, actually became the head of the church in Jerusalem, and there were others as well. When it comes to God and his mission in the world, we need all kinds We certainly do need people who are called to go to other countries and witness to Christ there. And if that's you, if you've felt that call, then you need to follow that calling. And don't let anyone talk you out of it and say, well, it's not practical, it's too dangerous, how are you gonna pay for your student loans? You have to be faithful to that call if God has given you that one. But many of us instead have to be faithful to that call closer to home, witness to Christ here, While some of us might be called to things like foreign missions, many of us are called to the mission fields that are right in our own backyards. It's our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhood, our book club, our friends, our mechanic, our hairdresser, anyone who we know who doesn't know Christ yet. Anyone who hasn't heard, and I mean really heard, the good news about him. Anyone who hasn't experienced the joy, comfort, and peace of the gospel, that's our mission field. For me personally, uh, for the last few years until we left Milwaukee, uh, it was my gym. As a pastor, it's kind of hard to do evangelism. You know, you work at a church, pretty much everyone you know goes to that church, right? So your opportunities to cross paths with unbelievers kind of becomes a little more difficult. But a few years ago, I read a, a book on evangelism where the author made a recommendation. He said, look, if you don't know that many non-Christians, and I realized I, pretty, I didn't know, you know any in Milwaukee, said, find a way to, to do the things that you love and enjoy with people from a different background, with, with non-believers. And I thought, well, I, I really like working out. Um, you wouldn't know it by looking at me, but I do that pretty regularly. Um, so I decided instead of doing that in my basement with the home, home workout programs that I had done for years, I would instead join a gym. And so I joined a gym in Milwaukee, and by the time we left, I had been there for about two and a half years, and it really did become my mission field. Uh, for instance, there was this one guy who I worked out with regularly um, who had a habit of asking me. He knew I was a pastor. And so anytime he saw me, he'd say, hey, Rev, what's the good word this week? What you preaching? And so I, I told him. And he kept asking, too, every week. Hey, Rev, what's the good word this week? What you preaching? And so I'd tell him. Uh, One of the coaches and I developed a close enough friendship that she actually opened up to me about some relationship problems that she was having with her boyfriend. And she actually asked me how Sarah and I made our marriage work. And one thing led to the next in the conversation and I ended up being able to share the biblical vision for marriage with her. Um, I didn't tell her that. It's just, it's what I believe about how marriage and relationships work and so I ended up sharing how scripture talks about commitment and, and how that keeps you bonded together even when times are rough or things are difficult and at the end of the conversation she said, that is so cool, I can't wait to go and tell my boyfriend all about this. Most significantly, right before he moved, one of my gym friends had his marriage fall apart. 19 years and his wife walked out on him. Um, He was Catholic, but by his own admission, he hadn't been to his parish in years and years. He didn't even know the name of the priest who was there at that point. Um, And so he called me. Turns out I was the only pastor he knew. And so he talked regularly for about two weeks as I tried to pastor him through that, until he cut me off when I told him that it probably wasn't a good idea that less than a month after his wife had left him, he was already trying to start dating. I said, yeah, you might wanna give it a bit more time. And then he didn't want to have anything to do with me until he found out that we were leaving and moving here. And he said, he called me back up. He said, I am actually in Michigan sometimes on business. Maybe next time I'm out, we can grab a beer together or something. I said, that'd be great. In fact, he called me about uh, three weeks ago and he said, I'm going to be in Detroit. Is that by you? I said, no. Next time you're in West Michigan, look me up. And to be fair, I mean, as far as I know, I don't know if I ever moved anybody over the line from unbelief to belief. I don't know if I ever notched any kills on my conversion kill count, you know? I'm not sure if I've I've ever brought anyone to faith who wasn't already a Christian. Um, Plus, now that we're in a new place, I'm at a new gym, I've kind of got to start these relationships all over again. The point, though, is that we all have people like that. We all have relationships like that where we can serve as witnesses for Christ. This work that that Christ gives his disciples here, it hasn't ended. It's not over, instead, it's still going. And it's work that we, as Christ's church today, are called to continue. You know, about a year ago, I read N.T. Wright's little book about how he uh, thinks Christians ought to respond to the coronavirus, it's called God and the Pandemic. I'll just say parts of it were good, other parts, I'm not really sure what he was trying to get at. But there was one quote in it that especially struck me as a good summary of everything that we've been talking about um, this morning and really this whole sermon series. Writing about how and why God chooses us to serve as his witnesses, Wright has this to say. So often when people look out on the world and its disasters, they wonder why God doesn't just march in and take over. Why, they ask, does he permit it? Why doesn't he send a thunderbolt and put things right? The answer is that God does send thunderbolts, human ones. He sends in the poor and spirit, the meek, the mourners, the peacemakers, the hungry for justice people. They are the way God wants to act in his world. They are more effective than any lightning flashes or actual thunderbolts. They will use their initiative. They will see where the real needs are and go to meet them. They will weep at the tombs of their friends, at the tombs of their enemies. Some of them will get hurt. Some may be killed. This is the story of Acts all through. There will be problems, punishments, setbacks, shipwrecks, but God's purpose will come through. These people, prayerful, humble, faithful, will be the answer not to the question why, but to the question what. What needs to be done here? Who is most at risk? How can we help? Whom shall we send? The answer is that God has sent us. He sends us near and far where we expect to go and where we don't into situations where we feel that we are ready and when we don't. But he sends us as his witnesses. Witnesses to who he is, what he has done, and what he has done for us. And that brings us to the gospel this morning. You see, regardless of what kind of story we have, whether it's one of those exciting ones or a boring one or somewhere between the two, the common thread in all of our stories as Christian believers is that we don't deserve it. We don't start out as God's people because of our sin our relationship with God was fractured, broken, and distorted. And that is something that is true across the board. Whether we are lifelong Christians, converts somewhere along the way, or maybe just here checking out the Christian faith for the first time, we are all of us sinful people who deserve to be estranged from God. And yet Christ died for us. In his incredible mercy, grace, and love, God made a way for us back to him. He's forgiven our sins, called us out of darkness, and recreated us new as new people. And it's because of him, because of Christ, that we can now call ourselves by his name, be part of his church, and serve as witnesses to others who don't know him yet. That's the story that we get to tell. That's the gospel that we get to share and that's the witness that we get to offer others about Jesus Christ. It's a story of redemption. It's our story. And it's also the story of the entire world. As the church, as God's people today, the work, the ministry, the mission of Christ continues. This story isn't over. The ending hasn't been written yet but by God's grace, he continues to write it through us. Thanks be to him, amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, in many ways it makes no sense. Rather than do everything yourself which you are eminently capable of, you have chosen us, As fallen, sinful, distorted people to call back to yourself and use us to go about your work in the world. It's because of Christ that this is possible and we look forward to the day when he will return and complete that good work in us. But Lord, in the meantime, make us faithful. Lead and guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can indeed serve as your witnesses. Right around home, a little bit farther out, and to the ends of the earth. We pray this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. This morning, uh, as Lois already mentioned, we have uh, an additional privilege, um, not just to gather together for worship to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but also to commission our new director of student ministries, Nate Rusticus. And as some of you know, Nate and his wife, Rachel, and then their, their girls, Julia and Ella Grace, they've had a little bit of a whirlwind uh, recently. They accepted this position about a month ago, and in the time since, have had to wrap up relationships and jobs and sell a house back in Indiana where they were living. They actually just moved here this past week on Thursday. Uh, As Lois mentioned, he's already teaching a class after worship uh, this morning, so he's diving right in. And so, Rusticus family, we are so excited to have you with us and joining us in the work of God here at Ivanrest Church. And Nate, I'd like to invite you forward at this time uh, before your partners in ministry uh, this morning as we commission you to your work here. And that is, by the way, what, what we are. We are partners in ministry uh, with Nate uh, here in our church. Um, that's really what we've been talking about throughout this entire sermon series, how we are God's people and how we are called to serve him. Um, and yet, as his people, God also gives us uh, leaders to help teach and guide us as he forms us into his disciples who can go about the work of ministry that he has called us to. And so, Nate, that is your role, along with the rest of our staff and our office bearers here as well at Ivan. Rest Church. Um, it's your honor to lead and guide us as, as we grow as disciples of Jesus Christ and, and work for his kingdom. and So we look forward to that. We look forward to having you work with us, uh, to seeing how you use the gifts and passions that God has given you here um, for our ministries, and look forward we look forward as well to seeing how God is gonna use you to spread the grace of his gospel message um, with our students and with our young people and, and really uh, in all of us and in our lives here uh, in the years to come. A major truth of that gospel good news that we believe as Christians is that God values community and relationships. And obviously we see a a perfect example of that in that uh, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make our relationship with him possible. And, uh, and that's what we get to commission you to do as well, is to create community for our young people and relationships for them, uh, first with each other, with you and the other leaders, and then most importantly, through you, uh, with, with God himself. Um, for Nate to be successful in that work, though, each one of us must partner with him, Uh, We must respect him, support him, and accept his help as he seeks to empower us to disciple and grow our young people in the faith of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I'd actually like to challenge all of us as a church to do three things. First, to pray for, encourage, and support Nate as our director of student ministries as he begins his work here. Second, to value and pour into the students and young people of our church, uh, seeing them for what they are, as members of Christ's church and his kingdom already. And then finally, for those of us who are willing to actually partner with Nate in a special way as volunteers in our youth ministries as well, um, to develop meaningful relationships with our young people so that together they and our volunteers can see the the light of Christ shining in each other. So I invite you, Ivanrest Church, to receive Nate and his family uh, for what they are, as gifts of God given to us to help us know him more. And at this point, I'd like to invite actually all of our staff members uh, forward who are with us this morning. Uh, so anyone on the Ivanrest staff, I'd like to invite uh, you forward to join with Nate here because it's really, uh, it's Nate doing this work, it's all of us together. And uh, this is the group of people that, that you pray for, um, that we need you to encourage and support as we go about the work of ministry of serving this congregation. I'd also like to invite any office bearers who are willing to come forward at this time and, uh, and just lay hands on, on Nate and our staff or gather around us, and, uh, and then I'm gonna pray for us and for Nate specifically as he takes up this work. In congregation two, I'd actually like to ask you to stand uh, as well as we pray together this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we've talked about this morning, you have called and equipped all of us to serve as your people. And we thank you for that calling that you've placed on each and every one of our lives, the ways in which you have transformed and sanctified all of us and made us your people. And yet, Lord, we thank you for the leaders who are gathered up here on this stage, uh, whether paid staff, or office bearers, elders, and deacons, Lord, you equip your church. And we thank you for the leaders that you have given to us to equip us as your people. We thank you specifically for Nate, for the ways in which you have led and guided him throughout his life so that he can now come to a place of leading and guiding us here in our church. Lord, I thank you for his family, for Rachel, and for Julia, and for Ella Grace, for their response to your call as well to move states, and to come here, and to become part of this family of Christ. And Lord, we pray that you will bless them and bless Nate's ministry among us. Make us people who are willing to support, encourage, and most importantly, pray for him and his family. Empower him for the work that you have given him to do starting already this morning. Help him to create connections with our young people both in and outside of the church, that we can continue to serve as a light and a witness for Christ in your mission, in your world. Thank you for him, Lord, and thank you for leading him to our church. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You all can make your way back to your seats. And uh, you can be seated as well. And we have the opportunity now uh, to express our faith in a tangible way. We call them sacraments, signs, and seals. Um, And we are united together as the body of Christ uh, in this sacrament as well at the Lord's table. And so I'd like to read through the liturgy for the Lord's table together this morning. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right for us to give thanks and praise. Now let us hear the story of how this sacrament began. On the night on which Jesus was betrayed, he sat at supper with his disciples. While they were eating, he took a piece of bread, said a blessing, broke it, and gave it to them with the words, this is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. Later he took the cup, saying, this cup is God's covenant, sealed with his blood. Drink from it, all of you, to remember me. So now, Following Jesus' example and command, we take this bread and this cup, the ordinary things of this world, which Christ will use for extraordinary purposes. And as he said a prayer before sharing, let us do so too. Let's pray. Lord our God, send your Holy Spirit so that this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all your saints be united with Christ and remain faithful in hope and love. Gather your whole church, O Lord, into the glory of your kingdom. We say together, through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Let us proclaim our faith is signed and sealed in this sacrament. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. My friends, the bread that we break is a sharing in the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are one, for we all share the same. And the cup for which we give thanks is our sharing in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. I'd like to invite our elders forward at this time and to take a seat in the front row. I'm just gonna go over a few details because we're doing communion a little bit differently right now um, than we typically would. Uh, We're gonna actually have the entire congregation come forward to be served um, for uh, at least this Sunday and the next couple of times that we serve communion. Um, So every time, when when you come forward, each section will have two servers at the front of it. So two elders, one will have a plate of bread and the other will have um, a plate with with cups with the juice in it. Uh, you can make your way down the left-hand side of your section, come past the, the two elders. Uh, the first one will place a piece of bread in your hand and then you can take a cup from the second one. Um, as soon as, as you have a piece of bread, the elder will say, the body of Christ given for you. You can eat it, take the cup. The elder will say, um, the blood of Christ shed for you. You can drink it. There will be waste baskets for you to s- dispose of them as you make your way back up the right-hand side of your section to your seats. Um, If you need to be served where you are seated, um, we will also have a a roaming elder, um, so just try to catch that person's attention. It will be Twyla, um, so just try to catch her attention and have her come and serve you where you are seated. Um, If you need gluten-free bread, wherever you're seated in the sanctuary, just ask that you come to one of these two stations because we have some gluten-free bread that are right next to these tables here. I think that's it. Sorry, it's different. Um, this is a means of grace. That's what we believe about sacraments. So you might have to offer us a little bit of grace if this you know, isn't quite what we're used to. If you are in the West Wing, by the way, um, Luke and will be back there to facilitate you through uh, the process as well. Um, but as I said, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let's come to the Lord's table uh, this morning. And elders, you can step forward at this time. Oh, and worship team, you can come up as well. See, I knew I was gonna forget something. God, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for everything that it signifies and seals within our hearts. We thank you that in this meal we meet with you, we experience your presence, that you nourish us in our faith, that you bind us together as a body of believers, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, both here and with believers all around the world. Thank you for your grace and mercy to us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I'd like to ask you uh, to please stand uh, to receive God's closing blessing as we end our time of worship together uh, this morning. Uh, before I offer that, just a couple of brief announcements. First, um, Gather and Grow is starting up this Sunday, uh, so all our different classes. Um, elementary, you will be meeting in the main gathering room. Middle school, in the east-west gathering room. Adults, uh, you will be in the west wing on the other side of the building. We have our church picnic tonight uh, from 4 to 7 p.m., um, starting next week, we've got a membership class for anyone who's interested in that. Those signups are online, um, so please sign up if you'd like to do that. And also, starting next week, we'll be, getting, we'll be starting a new sermon series uh, on the Psalms of Ascent. We have a book study that's going along with that. There are signups for that as well online, and then we also have some signups, some paper signups in the back uh, in the connections corner. With those things in mind, receive God's blessing this morning as His people. God go before you to lead you. God, go behind you to protect you. God, go beneath you to support you. And God, go beside you to befriend you. Do not be afraid. And the blessing of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Do not be afraid, but go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And all God's people said, amen.